Again, good to see all of you this morning. You probably, if you've been coming to the Oasis for a while, have noticed you got a little bit more room today. We took out some chairs so that you're not eating your knees anymore, okay? We figure if we grow and we have to add chairs, we can always add them, right? 1 John chapter 3 this morning, we're going through on Sunday mornings the letter of 1 John in the New Testament. The Apostle John wrote, obviously, the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and also wrote the book of Revelation. But this morning, we're going to be in 1st John, the first letter of John. Chapter 3 is where we're going to begin, verse 1. And for those of you that have not been with us, let me share with you a little bit of an introduction this letter is all, well, first of all, it's to Christians. It's to those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But John says, I want you to know that God intended for us as his children to have more than just a relationship with him. He wants us to have fellowship with him. He wants us to be as close to him as we as human beings can possibly be. And we've even heard today through even our worship songs that, and we're going to see this today in the message, that God, through Jesus Christ, came to remove every barrier, every obstacle between us and God so that we could be as close to God as we possibly could be. And John, just throughout this letter, is trying to exhort Christians, don't just be satisfied with having a relationship with God. Pursue fellowship with God. Pursue drawing near to God so that he will draw near to you. Be as close to God as you possibly can because John wants to point out in this letter that there's a difference between a relationship with someone and fellowship with someone, even on a human level. You and I can be related to someone but not really be in fellowship with them not be aligned with them, not be on the same page, not share the same dreams and priorities and values and all of that. We can be related to someone but not be in fellowship with them. And the same thing is true with Christians. Christians can be related to God as his children through a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior and yet walk throughout the rest of our earthly life it's sort of a distance from God because we're not living in fellowship with him. And John wants to not only encourage us in that fellowship, he wants to share with us how we come into fellowship with God and he wants to inspire us and motivate us to be in fellowship with God, to go deeper with God than we are just by simply knowing Jesus as our Savior. And that's really what this passage lands on today. It's more of an inspiration, motivation for us. It's like John is wanting his heart to connect with our heart as it connects with God's heart and says, children of God, let's not forget who our God is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And let's continue to, you know, go after God, not from a distance, but up close, to live every day in close proximity to God, you see. So we start out, in 1 John chapter 3, by being reminded of this great love, this heart of God that he has for us. John says, see 
what sort of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? And he says, and indeed we are. John is just so excited about the fact that because of God's love, that God initiated this relationship, that we didn't reach out to God, God reached down to us. John 3, 16, God didn't just love, he so loved us that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we've seen that everlasting eternal life isn't just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. It's even as a Christian being able to live on a higher level, a higher plane. It is a quality of life that God wants his children to experience. And that life can only be experienced not in relationship with God, but in fellowship with God. It is that abundant life that Jesus Christ talked about to his followers. I am the good shepherd. I've come to give you abundant life, you see, abundant life. And John starts out in this passage by saying, do you see it? Do you see the great love that God had for you that drew Jesus Christ from the glories of heaven and, and, and put, took on humanity and came to this earth and went through everything he did out of his great love for us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit's love for us? Do we see it? And even in that word, John is motivating us to fellowship because that word see means to become thoroughly acquainted with something by experience. That's what the word see means. You see, many even Christians have never really seen God's love for them. They, they say, oh, intellectually, sort of analytically, you know, up here they process, oh, I know God loves me. I know the Bible tells me God loves me. I know God loves me. But have you ever really felt God's love? Have you ever been moved by God's love? Like John, even on earth, did you ever, in, in a figurative sense, lay your head close enough on the chest of Jesus and feel his heartbeat for you? That's what John means by using the word see. See the sort of love. And that word sort means kind, means quality. It's not just any kind of love, even as John 3, 16 says, he so loved us that we are called God's children. Amen. So loved and John is saying, do you see it? How, are you becoming more thoroughly acquainted with how much God loves you through your experience with him every day of walking with him, in fellowship with him? Because it's one thing to be at a distance from God and know in your head God loves you. It's another thing to literally have him take you by the hand or you take him by the hand every day and walk hand in hand, side by side with God and experience his love for you and to see his face for you, to see his tears for you, to hear his heartbeat for you. That's what John says see means. And that can only happen, that kind of seeing God's great love for us can only happen as we walk in fellowship with God and we continue to experience and open ourselves up and receive his love for us every day. Not just once a week, not just once a year, but every day and every moment of the day to be open to the waterfall, if you will, of God's love. 
Paul even said to the Romans in Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love upon us through his Holy Spirit who he's given to us. Do you feel this morning like God has poured his love into you? I hope so, because that's the way he wants you to feel. Because to be honest, there's a lot of Christians that walk around feeling unloved, even as a Christian, feeling very lacking in love. You know, like to them, like love from God is a trickle or a drip. No, God says, I poured out my love into your heart through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you are in tune with the Holy Spirit and walk with the Spirit and are filled with the Spirit every day, you will experience the overflowing love of God. See the great love the Father has bestowed and given to us that we are called God's children. And he says, indeed we are. And then he goes on in verse 1 to say, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Let me say something about that. Instead of embracing the greatest love you and I could ever experience and living in that love every day, which is the love God has for us, many times it's like, oh yeah, I know God loves me, but I want the world's love too. I, I want the world to embrace me. I want the world to appreciate me. I want the world to affirm me. And notice what John is saying. He's saying when you and I, even as Christians, walk away from the greatest love we could ever know, which is the love God has for us, and somehow we go after an other love, it will always be settling for something way second best than what God is offering us. In fact, as you and I as Christians try to go after the appreciation and the approval and the embrace of the world, John says a devoted, dedicated Christian will never experience that because they're incompatible. The world will never wrap its arms around you as a devoted Christian. The world will never appreciate you. They will never understand the values and priorities of your life because John says they didn't even know Jesus. And if they don't know and appreciate and acknowledge who Jesus is, they're never going to know you too. So stop running after the world and the approval of the world and the embrace of the world and, and all of that uh, from the world because if you're a Christian, you're never going to get it. But God will always be there with his arms open. Why do you saying, come to me, child, I'll love on you. I'll shower you with love. I'll give you all the love you could ever need. And you'll never find any kind of fulfillment or satisfaction outside of me. Never. In fact, that's why if you go back even up to verse 25 of chapter 2, something we touched on last week when John says, now this is the promise he himself made to us, eternal life. Again, reminding us that this eternal life isn't just a quantity of life. I'm going to live forever. It's a quality of life that I can begin to experience here on earth after I accept Jesus as my Savior. Then he goes on in verse 26 to say, these things I have written to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Why do those verses go together? For this reason, John is saying, why don't you just once and for all as a Christian just settle down in the embrace of God in your life and just allow him to love on you like he wants to love on you? Why aren't you settled in God's love? Because here's why that is so important. The word deceive is a word that literally means to wander or to roam. In fact, in, in Paul's day, it was used of, of astronomers to describe the planets and, and those things in space that were constantly in motion, like the rotation of planets and stuff. 
And he's saying, people are trying to deceive you. They're trying to unsettle you. They're they're trying to get you not to just settle in once and for all and embrace the love of God and live in fellowship with him. No, they're trying to get you in your human existence on earth to just continue to wander in Rome. And, and, you know, have Jesus, yeah, but always be looking for that next thing, that, that other thing that the world can offer or our flesh wants or, you know, uh, even the devil may offer us, you know, that we talked about last week. No, John says, don't go after anything else because the greatest love, the greatest relationship, the most fulfilling, the most satisfied you and I will ever be is always going to come within Jesus Christ, never outside of him. Never. So with what, with what John says in 1 John 3, 1 about let's be reminded about this great love, this incredible love that gives you and I the privilege and the honor to be called God's children. Isn't that amazing? You, you and I can wake up every day going, I'm a child of God. Wow. Amazing. But then John says, I want to talk to you for a few moments about how this love was very practically and profoundly demonstrated to us. If you go down to verse 5 of chapter 3, notice what John says. He says, and this you know, this you know, Jesus was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. First of all, John is simply saying, let's not forget, Jesus Christ is the sinless, perfect, spotless, without blemish Lamb of God. Let's never forget that. But that makes what he did for us that much more intense, if you will, and and amazing and incredible. Because John says, Jesus was revealed to take away our sins. John is reminding us that in salvation, the first thing Jesus did for us by expressing his love is he saved us from the penalty of sin. That literally Jesus took our place on the cross. He lifted up our sin. He put our sin on himself and he bore our sin as our substitute on the cross so that you and I would never have to go through an eternal separation with God, but so that we could live in relationship and fellowship with God, Jesus literally lifted up our sin off of us and put it on himself. In fact, that's what the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is all about. The great sheep who literally put all of our pain and all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our sin was placed on the back of Jesus Christ. And even as John says here, yet he knew no sin. So, John, so Paul says to the Corinthians, you realize that he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, became sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. That's love. <laughs> That's love, where the sinless one, the perfect one, the one that would have never had to suffer a second in his life, the one that would have never had to experience rejection and ridicule and and all that he did, 
uh, on earth, as well as the physical pain of, of crucifixion and all these different things. He would have never had to experience that, but out of his great love for us, he was willing to leave the adoration and glory that he was receiving in heaven and take upon himself human form and take away our sins. Amen. And as I've said to all of us before, when you've had your sin by Jesus Christ literally lifted off of your back, when you've had that guilt and that shame and all of that sin of all of our life and you've had that removed off of you and placed on Jesus, there is no feeling, no experience like that of knowing that we've been set free through the blood of Jesus Christ and we are forgiven and we are now God's child. And that's exactly what John says. He says, don't you understand how much God loves you? And here's the thing. John is saying in 1 John 3, 5, if Jesus was willing to take away that burden from us, the greatest burden you and I could ever bear is the burden of sin and guilt and shame and all of that. Then he says, you realize that as a Christian, as a child of God, he's available to you every day to also take other burdens and other pain and other things off of you, other weights off of you too, because he never intended for you and I to carry those. But his shoulders are big enough that if his shoulders were big enough and strong enough to carry the sin of the entire world on his back, then don't you think his shoulders are big enough to carry our weights and our burdens and our pain as well? Yes. It is, which is why Jesus said to his followers, come to me, all you who are burdened and weary. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy to bear. My load is very light to carry. Why is it throughout the word of God over and over again, the psalmist in Psalm 55, 22, throw your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the godly to be upended. First uh, Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And I love Psalm 63, I believe it's verse 22. I'm not quite sure there, so don't quote me on that one. But the psalmist says, the Lord deserves praise because day after day he carries our burdens. Wow. You see, he didn't just carry the burden of our sin, but Jesus as our Savior, as the one who loves us more than we could ever know, he also wants to carry all of our burdens and all of our pain and all of those weights that we carry around. So I'm just going to exhort you like John would today if he was standing here before you. If you at one time in your life were willing to allow Jesus to take all that sin and guilt and shame off of your back and to put it on him, then why not take that weight, that pain, that burden, that issue that you're still carrying around on your shoulders that's starting to wear on you and weigh you down. And why don't you let Jesus take that off of you too? So John is saying, this is how great a love God has for us. First of all, the sinless one, the one who knew no sin, was willing to come and take away our sin and to remove the penalty of sin from us. That's part of it. But then if you go over to the middle of verse 8 of chapter 3, he then wants to talk to us about the fact that salvation is not only being saved from the penalty of sin, it's also being saved from the power of sin. And notice what he says there beginning in the middle of verse 8 of chapter 3. He says, for this purpose, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. 
I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, works is plural, meaning that there's so many things that the devil tries to do to us, even as God's children. And we're going to talk about a couple of those. But notice something here. John is pointing out, not only does Jesus take our sin and take the penalty for it and die in our place, but he also, when he came to earth and he died and he rose from the dead, he broke the power that the devil had in our lives. He broke the power that sin had in our lives. So that what John is saying to every child of God, every Christian is this, that any power that you and I are succumbing to, any power that's got a hold on us, any power that's got a grip on us, other than the power of God, is something that you and I are allowing to have that power over us. It's not something that we have to have power over us. Do you, you get what I'm saying? I hope that made sense because that didn't even make sense to me. <laughs> John is saying we're giving something power over us, but it doesn't have to have power over us. Because once you and I become a child of God, the principle that you and I should live by is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And yet I run into so many Christians who something's got a hold of them and the devil, one of his works is, no, it's hopeless. No, you'll never, you'll never be able to navigate this. You'll never be able to, you'll never get over this. This is always going to hang over you like a cloud. This is always going to be a power in your life. You're never going to see victory. You're always going to see defeat. You're always going to see, this is the work of the devil. And God came in the form of Jesus Christ to destroy the work of the devil and to show us when we say and when he tells us we can't we turn back to him and say you're a liar from the very beginning yes I can through Jesus Christ Amen. one of the works that Jesus Christ came to destroy that the devil had was this the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 that Jesus Christ shared in our humanity so that through death he could destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. And he could set free those who were enslaved all their lives to a fear of death. That's just one of the works that Jesus Christ came to destroy. Jesus came to destroy this fear of death. So that you and I, as a child of God, we don't have to sit there and, and be worried about death, that we understand through the promises of God to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when you and I leave this earth in death, we're just going home, my friend, because our citizenship is in heaven, and we are awaiting our Savior and looking for him to come back from there. And we're going to be welcomed home one day. That's what death is to the child of God. So we don't have to fear death. See, that's one of the works that Jesus Christ came to destroy. But what John wants us to be reminded of, it's all power because Jesus Christ is now all power in our life. And, and if you and I are allowing something else other than Jesus Christ to have power over us, it's because we're giving it power over us, not because it has to have power over us. Because Jesus Christ, our head, the one we talked about Wednesday night, if you were here for Bible study out of the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us that he occupies the highest place in the universe, Paul told the Ephesians. He said, look, God the Father put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as head over all things. 
And when God the Father exalted Jesus Christ, he set him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule, every authority, every power, every dominion, and every name that is named, Paul said to the Ephesians. So when you and I are connected to Jesus Christ and he's our head, there is no greater power that we could ever experience in his power. And Paul was praying for the Ephesians. Don't you realize that the power of Jesus Christ pulsates through you each and every day because the same power, Paul said, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and exalted him to that place of, of honor in, in heaven is the same power that lives in you as a Christian? Whoa! If we as Christians start to live with that kind of power every day, how would that transform our lives and our churches and our worship and all of these different things? So John says, God loves you greatly. You'll never experience a greater love than God's love for you. First of all, in our salvation, he's taken on the penalty of sin. He's removed it. Also, in our salvation, he's removed the power of sin over us. There is no greater power now that operates in our life as a child of God than God's power. So that anything that has a hold on us other than God, it's because we're giving it power, not because it has to be that way, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if we choose not to believe that, we are giving in to one of the works of the devil in our mind. We're allowing the devil to tell us we can't when God says we can. Amen. But there's another way God loves us through the salvation he's given us. And that is that one day we will also be saved from the very presence of sin. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. John says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, but it has not yet been revealed what we will be, but when it is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Do you realize the hope that we have as Christians is that one day you and I are going to stand face to face, eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. You and I are going to get to see Jesus one day. We're going to see him as he is. And not only then in our salvation did God save us from the penalty and the power, but one day has promised us that if I go, Jesus said, and prepare a place for you, John 14, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. I have a place for you, Jesus said, and I'm making that place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you one day. Because again, what's the heart of God? To be with us, to be close to us. So he set up an eternity with us so that we could be as close to him as we possibly can be, so that we will be in fellowship with him, not just in relationship with him, but in fellowship with him forever and ever and ever. Now, notice then if you go back up to verse 28, though, something very important, and this ties into a real motivation and inspiration for fellowship. John says in John 2, 28, and now, little children, remain in him. The word remain, stay close, stay connected, stay in fellowship, draw near, don't live your life at a distance from God. Remain in him. What's the motivation? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink 
from him in shame when he comes back. Did you notice something there? John is tying fellowship with confidence. John says, you know one of the results of living in fellowship with God is confidence. Not just confidence every day here on earth, but confident when we even meet him face to face. But John says not every Christian, not every child of God is going to be confident because not every child of God is going to be living in fellowship with God or remaining in him. Many of them are going to be living their own lives and doing their own thing and living out of fellowship with God and living in sin and living in disobedience and grabbing a hold of all the world has to give. And John says when that day comes, they're not going to be confident before the Lord. They're going to shrink. Now, I'm going to say more about that in just a minute. There's a lot to say surrounding this. But one of the things I want to point out is this. You'll notice in verse 28... John doesn't use the word if he appears or if he comes back. What's he say? When. See, there, there's no doubt you and I are going to be with Jesus one day. Just get that out of your mind. One day you and I are going to be in glory and we're going to meet Jesus face to face. John says it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And John says... God wants you to be confident, not only in that day, he wants you to be confident now. And the way you and I build confidence in our life as Christians is not just by having a relationship with God, it's by being in fellowship with God. You know what the Bible says? The righteous, and the word righteous simply means one who's aligned with God, one who's on the same page with God, okay? One who's living with God. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I love that. And that's true. I've seen it in my life. That the closer I get to God, the more confident and bold. Not cocky, not overconfident, not confident in Jeff, but confident in who the Lord is and what the Lord can do through me. Do I need to remind us about the old Bible story of that little shepherd boy that went out before that giant with his little rocks and his sling and slayed the giant before him? Why was he so bold when the whole army that was, you know, all these grown men that had all this armor on and all these great spears and swords and all that, they were scared to death to go out and face that giant. Why did that little shepherd boy have that confidence and boldness? Because that little shepherd boy was walking in fellowship with his God while he was tending sheep out there in the sheep pasture that's why and that's why can i say it doesn't matter so often as christians we say i need a certain place i need a certain position i need a certain amount of prestige and all of this no we don't we can be a shepherd boy and slay giants if we'll simply walk hand in hand with god every day and god will give us the confidence and the boldness we need when we live in fellowship with him but when we're walking away from god when we're living distance from god we lose our confidence don't we Absolutely. So John here is pointing out something in verse 28. Something very sobering, something challenging, but also something very, I hope, motivating and inspiring. He says there's going to be basically two types of Christians that meet Jesus. 
either when we die and go to be with Jesus or when he returns and he appears and he comes back to get us. Two types of Christians. The confident ones and those that shrink away from him, ashamed of the way they've lived their Christian life. Only two. And here's the thing. God right now is giving his people this message so that maybe we're not where we should be. Maybe we're not as confident and in fellowship with God as we should be. You know, the great thing about God is he gives us time to correct that. So if you're here today and you're living out of fellowship with God, guess what? God in his mercy and his grace is trying to send you a message. Get your house in order because guess what? It's not a matter of if you meet Jesus one day and if you come into glory, it's just a matter of when. You're going to be standing before Jesus one day, the one who took your sins, the one who broke the power of sin in your life, the one who wants to bring you into his presence for all of eternity and remove you from the very presence of sin. Where are you going to be when that happens? And John is saying, don't you want to be in a good place with Jesus? But I want to say this as well. This is so important. Because some of you here today, based upon especially your religious background and maybe where you've come from, you may think that, oh, man, if I do get to that point, what if he came today and I didn't have time to begin to, you know, make the changes and start to pursue God and live in fellowship? Well, first of all, if you just take one step towards God today, that's, that's, that's all God's looking for. He's not looking for you to all of a sudden just have everything in your life all right. He's just saying, child, will you just take a step towards me today? That's all I'm asking you to do. We can all do that, no matter even if we're living really close to God. We continue to take a step further to God. But here's what I want to say. That day's going to come for all of us. And for those Christians that maybe aren't in the place that they could be or should be as a follower of Jesus Christ, Here's what I want you to know. Based upon the character of our God as revealed in the Bible, as you stand there shrinking from him, ashamed of the way you've lived your Christian life, Jesus Christ will not be shrinking from you. And you will not be condemned. You will not be scolded. Jesus isn't going to, you know, browbeat you and tell you what a terrible awful person you are for living the way, you know what he's going to do? His eyes of love are going to look into your eyes and all he's going to do is embrace you and say, welcome home, my child. That's what Jesus is going to do. And I think his love, unconditional love, is just going to melt us. Now, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant to every Christian, obviously. <laughs> But I believe my Savior is going to say, welcome home, child. I love you. That's what you're going to get from Jesus. Because that's what we always get from Jesus. Because that's love. Because his love for us, obviously, isn't based on our performance. The Bible tells us he loved us with a love even before the foundation of the world. He loved us even while we were still sinners. So his love isn't based on our performance. The reason he calls us to close fellowship with him is not for his sake. It's for ours. 
It's because out of that great love, he wants us to understand and know that the greatest life and the greatest love we could ever experience is not living at a distance from him. It's living as close to him as we possibly can. And it's only when we begin to live as close to him as we possibly can that we really begin to see the sort of love that the Father had for us to call us his children and to truly appreciate and, and be grateful and thankful for who we are as Christians and what we have in Jesus Christ and the fact that he took away the penalty, took away the power, and one day will take us away from the very presence of sin. And that should not only drive us to fellowship, folks, that should drive and motivate our worship of him. Amen. And that's why our churches should actually be filled with people who are knocking down the doors, can't wait to get there so that we can lift up our voices and our hearts to God and praise him for all that he is and all that he's done for us. Amen. Well, we're going to have a whole series on that coming up in August. The final Sunday of August, August 25th, we start a 14-week series on the heart of worship. I hope you'll be here for that. But until then, we're in John. And remember, this is something that John himself personally experienced. As I said at the beginning of this series, John was as close spiritually and physically to Jesus Christ while he was on earth as any of his disciples. You know, John was the one that laid his head on Jesus' chest during the Last Supper. John was the only one of the 12 that was literally at the cross. And there was such a connection and closeness with John, with Jesus, that Jesus actually entrusted John with the care of his mother Mary. You remember that exchange that Jesus had with John. Behold your mother, behold your son. Now you know, and I know, you don't just entrust your children or your parents or anybody that you really love just to anybody. You only are going to entrust your, those that you really love to those that you really trust and those that you really know and those that you really know their heart and where they're at. And Jesus, out of everyone else on earth, who did he give care of his dear mother to? John. Why did he do that? Because he knew. John isn't just somebody that has a relationship with me. John is somebody that we're close. We're, like, we're tight, as we like to say. We get each other. We're on the same page. We don't just have a relationship. We have continual fellowship. And John is simply saying, I've experienced this. And there is nothing greater that a human being can experience than walking every day close to the heart of Jesus. Taking him by the hand every day, feeling his breath on your neck, knowing that he's right beside of you. John says, there can be no better life than that. And John is simply writing these words, hoping to inspire other of God's children to walk in that same way with God. I don't know this morning what barrier, what obstacle, what, what thing there is right now between you and God, but I know this. Jesus Christ came to take away our sin. He can take that away too. Because the heart of God is, I am willing to remove whatever is between you and me. 
and God has the power to do it. So I'm just asking all of us today, will we be open to allowing God to remove whatever barriers, whatever distance, whatever lies the devil has placed in your mind about the fact, well, I've been gone, I've been out of fellowship too long, you know, I've done too many bad things, all those works of the devil, just get those out of your head and let the truth of God and the love of God flood into you today and just draw near to God. Draw near to God today. Let's stand and pray. God, I ask you today to take your children, to wrap your arms of love around us all and to draw us into your heart, to draw us into yourself today, God. May none of us leave here today, God, questioning your love for us or not really seeing the sort of love that the Father has for us. I pray today, God, that all of us have seen a little bit clearer how deeply and profoundly we are loved by you. And I pray, God, that our heart's response is simply to pursue you like we've never pursued you before, to draw into you and draw near to you more than we ever have before. Because, Lord, you may even come back for us before this service ends. We may be standing before our Jesus before this day is out. Or there's no promise of tomorrow for any of us. We could leave this building today and one of us could be in a terrible accident or drop over of a massive heart attack and we could be in your presence just like that. I pray, God, that we would use this time to just say, Lord, I'm taking a step towards you today. Maybe my life isn't all that it should be, but God, I want to show you before I meet you, before I see you face to face, that truly my heart was, I wanted to be closer. I want to be that confident Christian that stands before you one day, Lord. Not the Christian that shrinks away from you because you never shrink away from us. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.